This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line, but rarely do successful people get from point A to point B taking the most direct route. Host Jeffrey Klein speaks to a diverse mix of people to explore their story of success and the dots connected along the way. Thank you for listening. Here's your host, Jeffrey. This episode with Mayo Clinic scientist, Dr. Joy Wolfram, is really about thinking small, really, really small. As we learn about Dr. Wolfram's journey into nanotechnology and how it can help patients of life-threatening diseases. Dr. Wolfram shares her curiosity of the world around us with a focus on helping patients, creating future leaders, and making science more diverse. Plus, she expresses how biological nanoparticles are like our body's own text messaging system. Enjoy. My guest today is Dr. Joy Wolfram, who is the Director of Nanomedicine and Extracellular Vesicles Laboratory at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. She leads a nanomedicine research laboratory with the goal of developing innovative nanoparticles that bring the next generation of treatments directly to the clinic. She has designed many preclinical nanoparticles for treating cancer and other life-threatening diseases and has authored over 50 publications in the past five years. Dr. Wolfram holds affiliate faculty positions at the Houston Methodist Hospital and the University of North Florida. She's a board member and scientific advisor of several companies around the world with a cumulative customer base of over 18 million. Her mission is to inspire and support underrepresented minorities in science, she is actively involved in community outreach and scientific education, including serving as the chair of an education and outreach working group of the National Cancer Institute in the U.S. And as a TED speaker, she strives to bring science to a wider audience. She was listed on the Forbes 30 Under 30 in healthcare in 2019. And additionally, she is part of the Global Young Academy that represents 83 countries and is limited to 200 members who are selected based on scientific excellence and commitment to service. Please welcome Dr. Joy Wolfram. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be on the Connect the Dots podcast. Uh, yes, I, I feel a little, um, I'll be honest, a little, you're probably the most academic person I've had on and, and um, I'm not, a, you know, my medical uh, knowledge is limited to, uh, so I'm excited to learn about what you're doing and, and but more interesting about the journey that took you from, you know, where you started to where you've become. And so I like to start at the beginning. Where were you born and what did your parents do for a living? So I was born in, in Finland, so in North Europe. And my mom uh, is an artist and my dad is in business. And when you were a kid growing up in Finland, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do when you grew up? Yeah, so actually pretty early on, um, I did want to be a scientist. So I've been very lucky to be able to pursue that career path. And so you're looking, you know, you're saying your father was in business and your mother was an artist. Who did you look up to as role models in terms of wanting to become a scientist? So to be honest, I think there weren't really a lot of role models, uh, you know, growing up, especially role models that sort of looked like me or were like me. And so that's something that I'm passionate about changing and, and creating those role models and being those role models for future generations. And so I think what drew me to science was just a curiosity for, you know, the world around us. Um, 
but definitely we need to create more of those uh, diverse scientific role models. Now, a lot of what we talk about with our guests is the power of story. And I'm curious if you've had, when you were growing up, anyone who was a really great storyteller. Yeah, that's a great question. So I think I would definitely say my, my grandmother. So she would always tell us stories um, about her own life. So that was very interesting to hear, especially, you know, during, you know, World War II and, and sort of the things she experienced. And what, what made her a good storyteller? Um, I think it was just uh, a lot of humor in some of her stories uh, and also a lot of suspense. So, for instance, she, she told us that, um, you know, after the war, she had gone to the uh, garden to, to take apples from their apple tree. And, of course, uh, her father got very angry that this was unacceptable um, and made her then go and hang bananas in the tree so of course the neighbors were uh very surprised to see all these bananas (laughs) (laughs) but these are the kind of stories she would tell um as well as some uh you know stories about um exciting or or frightening moments so she always put a put a good spin on on anything she she told us growing up did you uh i'm curious what your first kind of paying job was it was actually in science, but it, it wasn't uh, in, in cancer research or, or nanomedicine that I currently do. It was actually looking at butterflies. Um, so we would get these butterflies from all across Europe, and some of them could fly for um, several days without resting. And we would compare them to, to butterflies that could only fly for a few hours and specifically trying to understand um, what is the difference in their their muscles, so their flight muscles that could make them fly, you know, for days versus just a couple of hours. So this was a really interesting scientific project, um, and I found it very exciting. And then later on in life, I went on to to um, pursue my intellectual curiosity, but also combining that with actual um, projects that could have a direct benefit for patients. Yeah. When did you realize, I mean, I, I don't know much about nanomedicine. Uh, when did you realize like you wanted to pursue the kind of research-based um, medicine that you could then bring to, to help patients? Yeah. So excellent question. So um, I was also lucky during my childhood that I got these initial um, experiences with um, science. So for instance, the vet um, that, that we used to take our dog to, she would share some supplies with me. Um, so I would see her doing these bacterial cultures um, because my dog had an infection and asked her if I could take them home. So I would take these cultures home and I realized that there was actually bacteria everywhere. So, you know, in the air, we couldn't see it. But then when we grew, when I grew it on the petri dishes, um, it all came to life under the microscope and so on. So that I really realized that there was this whole world around us that we couldn't see with the naked eye. And a lot of that um, has to do with nanoscience as well, studying things that are very small. But uh, I did this butterfly project and realized that, you know, I loved science, but then seeing a lot of friends and family members lose loved ones to cancer, uh, this is when I, when I um, went to Sweden actually to do um, my first research project on, on cancer. and. Um, then I realized that we made a lot of progress um, as a scientific community. 
um, for several types of cancer, but there were still like pancreatic cancer and aggressive breast cancer where we hadn't really made any progress in regards to patient survival. So we were seeing sort of the same um, survival statistics as 50 years ago. So that made me think like we have to do something completely different and think about this in a different way. And what about um, using nanotechnology and, and physics and other quantitative tools to try to um, treat or develop treatment strategies for these very difficult cancers? How would you describe nanomedicine to someone who's not in the field? Yeah, so um, I think the, the best example is that, um, you know, if we try to, if we want to get from point A to B, we tend to use some type of transportation, especially if it's a difficult route, so a car. Um, and it's the same for cancer medicines. So if we just inject them into the blood, you know, they have difficulties getting to their final destination, the tumor. So what nanomedicine does is provides these tiny cars that can transport, for instance, the cancer drugs to the tumor. And this makes it a lot more efficient and also um, a lot more directed than just um, injecting uh, the drugs by themselves into the blood or, you know, ingesting them as a pill. So that's really one of the main advantages is, is this uh, vehicle, this nano car. Interesting. I, I, yeah, I think of uh, there's a movie where they inject a little car into a human body and you see it kind of going around and going directed. Um, when when you you've been how long have you been working? At, how did you end up kind of at the Mayo Clinic? So and how, how do you decide, OK, I want to do nanomedicine. How do you end up getting a, into that field? So, um, yeah, so after having done, you know, the more traditional cancer research in Sweden, um, I got some, I applied for some funding opportunities from my home country in Finland to do international research. And uh, I was again lucky to get, the, get those grants. And so that allowed me to then pursue um, nanotechnology, which I wanted to do because I wanted to approach cancer from a different perspective. So I applied to a hospital in Houston. Um, to do research and this and the reason was that this hospital had just opened up a unique department of nanomedicine um, that was one of the first in the world and it was very patient focused because it was linked to the hospital and this was sort of a perfect fit for me because I wanted to do things that could eventually hopefully have an impact uh, in the clinic um, but also focused on, on nanotechnology. And so I went there for six years in Houston. And uh, during that time, I also did a PhD in nanotechnology. And then when I graduated, I was looking for and applying to positions to start my own lab. And um, I thought that Mayo Clinic was a, was a great fit to do this um, because it is very patient focused. And again, it's in a hospital environment. I want to ask you about that because um, my limited understanding of how medical research works is you, you do a lot of medical research before you would ever try and put it into kind of clinical trials. It sounds like you found a shortcut or, or there was a way with this to, to kind of accelerate that process. Is that accurate? Um, well, I would say that the average time to get something clinically approved is 12 years. 
and this is actually based on on um, analyzing a lot of previous cases. And the average cost is 2.7 billion to get a therapeutic agent approved. And and let's say over 90% of the time, it fails somewhere along the line, usually in the clinical trial phase. So it is a very, very difficult process. However, we don't give up. But um, as you were hinting at, sometimes it may be faster, and that's especially if you use um, something from the body. So in our case, we're actually looking at you know, taking nanoparticles um, from, for instance, blood, because in addition to these synthetic nanoparticles that are used already in the clinic since the 1990s, um, our bodies also produce their own nanoparticles that are like tiny cars that deliver messages between cells. And if we can take those cars out of the body and load them with medication and then put them back in the body, we may um, be able to get approval uh, faster because we're using um, the patient's own uh, materials. But in any case, we still want to make sure that everything we're doing um, follows safety guidelines. So in any case, it is, uh, it's a long process. Uh, in this, so you've been uh, working in this field for quite a while now. Um, and in, in medicine, I mean, you international travel and all that. What's the most surprising place you sort of have found yourself, whether it's that job or location or engaging with someone that you wouldn't have predicted that you'd be have done if you had thought about it previously? Yes, I would probably say it would be in a in a taxi in Beijing. So I actually did part of my PhD in China. And um, what was interesting is that, of course, uh, um, you want to learn the language um, at least in a basic way, Mandarin to be able to communicate, but no one really wanted to speak Mandarin with you because they all wanted to speak English. So it was only in, in the taxi that I was able to practice uh, Mandarin. So there were some very um, insightful and uh, humorous discussions that I had in these uh, taxi rides in Beijing. Um, so that's always something that, that stands out to me. Well, it's definitely, uh, you know, creating a story in science is definitely um, something you have to work on. And I think it's one of the key traits to successful scientists is how or being able to present information in a compelling manner. And I think to some extent, this is also part of the basic scientific training in connecting the dots um, to make something that, you know, resonates with an audience and makes sense. And I think it's especially important to science, in science to create these uh, stories because it captures the interest of the audience, especially because we're overloaded today with scientific information. And it also helps us remember that information. Um, but I think what's unique for science is that we really need to let uh, the data, the results dictate the story. So we can never get too attached to one narrative because if we get new scientific results that don't support this original story, we have to be open and flexible and capable of reshaping that story 
uh, in search of the truth, because the scientific truth is, is ultimately what will save lives and make an impact. Uh, it, it's, I find it really compelling because when I think about science, <clears throat> I don't think of the fact that you typically think of crafting stories, but the two things, you know, one of the things that I've learned about stories is that it does help you remember based on how our, <clears throat> our brains work. And, and so I think that's kind of interesting. And then the idea of, you know, having that flexibility because you are data driven and, and the, the data though, you're using the data to help present that story. And I think um, that whole search for truth within that is really, really compelling. Let me, what would you say, uh, you know, you clearly are passionate uh, about the work that you do. What inspires you? So I would say that there's, there's always three things that inspire me. And the first is, you know, working on these research projects that could potentially help patients in the future. And the second is creating future leaders through mentorship. So there's only so much that I can do in my lifespan, um, you know, by myself. So if I can help others become leaders who will improve the world, then that's uh, having an exponential um, impact beyond what I can personally do. And then the third thing is to make science more diverse, um, because that will also benefit um, patients and benefit scientific knowledge if we get um, you know, diverse researchers from various backgrounds, genders, races, um, to work on problems because uh, you know everyone thinks in a different way, and we need we need everyone. I love that. So you've been working in this field, and, and there may be people who are younger in terms of want to create that future leadership. I'm curious what advice you would have given yourself when you were first starting out. So if you were going to talk to your kind of 21 year old self, what advice would you give to yourself? Uh, yeah. So for me, it would probably be. Um, to stress less because the things we worry about today, we probably, you know, won't remember a year from now. So I guess um, stress less, but stay focused. And, and, you know, we're really, we're really fortunate to have this life. So we should make sure that we also enjoy the journey. Well said. Uh, I always feel, you know, enjoy the journey. We uh, there's um, the whole idea of, you know, the journey is the destination where if you're too focused on the future, then you miss out on what's actually happening. Exactly. Yes. Uh, what do you think is next in terms of nanomedicine, in terms of where it's going? Well, I'm very excited about these biological nanoparticles. So the scientific term is extracellular vesicles. And um, the way I see them is as the body's text message system. So there's these nanoparticles that kind of function like text messages. So let's say your your stomach wants to send a message to the brain. They can um, the cells in the stomach can package this message in a nanoparticle and then deliver it um, through the blood to the brain. And we're sort of very excited. My lab in tapping into this text message system, um, either for diagnostic purposes or for therapeutic purposes. So one thing that another group discovered was that cancer cells, they send out these um, nanoparticles and these nanoparticles then travel to other organs and they actually make those other organs suitable for the cancer to spread. 
So if we can um, detect this early on, we can predict which patients may be likely to develop um, metastatic disease, so that is when the cancer spreads, and treat them more aggressively. Um, or we could try to stop this process whereby the nanoparticles um, promote cancer spread. But of course, this is just one side. There's also um, nanoparticles that the body releases that are very therapeutic, so that lower inflammation and so on. So we have both bad and good nanoparticles, and those good nanoparticles we could use um, to lower inflammation. So if we can find the right nanoparticles from the body, um, we can then modify them and use them as, as a therapy, for instance, for cardiovascular disease. So I think that's, that's really exciting in tapping into, into biology and using these um, biological nanoparticles for diagnostic and therapeutic purposes. And what about for you specifically? Are you, what do you see coming next in the next kind of phase of your research and your work? Yeah, so great question. So, so we're specifically working um, on cardiovascular disease. So for instance, heart inflammation. And what we found is that if we take these biological nanoparticles from uh, healthy patients, healthy humans, and if we take them from the fat, they can lower um, cardiovascular inflammation, so inflammation in the heart, but we can also add or load these biological nanoparticles with um, therapeutic agents that make them even better. So we're looking into that. Um, we already published our initial fi uh, findings, but now we're uh, specifically looking into models of uh, heart inflammation and also other cardiovascular diseases. And then on the other hand, on the cancer side, um, a lot of um, people have focused on proteins so what are the proteins in these uh, extra vesicles that are released by cancer cells? And what are the RNA? So the sort of genetic information, RNA and DNA. But what we want to do uh, that no one else has really done is look at the sugars. So what are the sugars that are present on these biological nanoparticles? Because we know that in general, um, certain sugars do play a role in cancer spread. Um, and what information can we get by specifically studying the sugars um, on the nanoparticles released by cancer cells? So we're, we're excited about um, going in that direction. Amazing. I mean, it's incredible to think, you know, the advances that are happening that us lay people don't really understand. But to, under, to know that there are people who do understand it, really working on it is... is uh, is hopeful for me. And, and uh, I, I love the fact that someone who's as passionate about uh, this, that's really working on it. So uh, I commend you for all of that. Uh, this is the um, question where we do kind of rapid fire questions. So I'm going to ask you nine questions and just kind of uh, answer first thing that kind of comes to your mind and, and we'll go from there. Um, so is it better to be a planner or a doer? Both, but if you have to choose a doer. Um, and should stories always have happy endings? Uh, no, I think we can learn from tragedies. Do you have a favorite emoji? Um, light bulb. Hmm, I love that one. Uh, if you had to sing a karaoke song, what song would you sing? Uh, you don't want to hear me sing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite social media platform? Uh, Twitter, definitely, yeah. 
And can you name a book that had a lasting impression on you? The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. And can you name one of your favorite movies? Uh, Home Alone. I think it's suitable for the time we're in. I'm a big fan <laughs> of that movie in our house. Um, <laughs> what's the one thing you can't live without? Salty licorice. Salty licorice? The Finnish thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. If you could be credited with inventing something, what would it be and why? Um, definitely a therapy for a life-threatening disease. Because I think um, that's really what I, what I want to do is make an impact in patient life. Dr. Wolfram, I really appreciate you sharing this with us. And uh, it's been fascinating for me to learn. Um, and I love your car analogy. I think that's really helpful for people to understand uh, the, the, the work that you're doing. Um, is there anything you were promoting at the moment or ways people can either support you or, or um, anything you want to share with us? Well, I would just say that um, if you're interested in learning more about the science, you can check out my uh, TED Talk. We'll definitely include that in the, in the show notes. And if you want to find uh, uh, more about, are you active on Twitter? Is that the best place to find you? Yeah, so you can find me at WolframJoy on Twitter, or you can check, check out my um, lab website. Great. We'll, we'll put those both in uh, the show notes. Um, again, I want to say this has been really illuminating in terms of uh, the different things that are going on. I think when I first read, you know, nanotechnology and nano um, medicine, I wasn't sure what that meant, and and now I feel like I I, I know a little bit more, which is always uh, something a good day when you learn a little bit. Um, so thank you for your time, and thank you for sharing, and thank you for helping us connect the dots. Wonderful. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be part of this podcast. Thank you for taking your time to listen to this podcast. Please subscribe on your preferred podcast platform so you don't miss any future episodes. If you could also do me a favor and please leave a review on iTunes, I would really appreciate that. Remember, story matters and is the best way to connect the dots.